Tradition, craftsmanship, authenticity, and community are words often used by fashion brands to describe their newfound ethos, but seldom resonate with the true character of the company or product. Along with sustainability and transparency, these words have become marketing buzz themes that are too often tacked onto a disingenuous existing company structure that values profit over core human values. Today's guest can say, hand on heart, that she has built her company and brand name by showing absolute commitment to community, tradition, craft, and most importantly, kawa and tikanga, or protocol, customs, and integrity, representing Aotearoa around the world and showing the way for the next generation to be creative and find their true strengths. In a sea of mass market fashion brands aimed at replicating fashion's lust for trend and change, now is the time for local brands, especially Maori and indigenous brands, to be celebrated and nurtured into the wider fashion community. It gives me great pleasure to welcome today's guest, Kitty Nathan, to Fashion in Focus. Welcome, Kitty. Tēnākoe, Murray. How are you? I'm really good. I'm so glad we've been able to find a time for this chat. It's taken us a little while to get here. <laughs> but um, I remember contacting you the day after you were just awarded the, uh, the MNZM in the uh, Queen's Birthday Honour. So congratulations again for that. Uh, thank you very much. What an amazing honour. Um, Kitty, I wanted to kind of go over quite a few topics with you today, and we're going to meander through a few things. So, um, and, and there's some quite big things that I want us to talk about today. These are not little, little things about uh, trends or which color buttons you're choosing for the season. So um, I know you've got a lot of knowledge to share, and, and, and we can talk through things uh, with quite a big sort of lens on today. But I wanted to start with a quote that I've pulled from your website. Um, and it talks about when celebrating and creating from a culture and a country, we all have a responsibility to give back to the community and to the people. Um, now, undoubtedly, 2020 has given us plenty of time to reflect on what we do and how we do it. Uh, and the idea of giving back to a community and living with kindness and empathy has never been more prevalent than right now for our generation. Can you talk to us about what that quote means for you and your family and your work community? Uh, I think it's more a way of being for us. So um, it's being authentic and self, I suppose, is what it is. And the fact that we started a business, um, that was just an extension of what we what we believe in, what, we, what our personal value sets are, I guess. And... Yes, with everything that's happened in 2020, even 2019, you know, so it's kind of like I call it world upside down moments where you just kind of feel like you're, you're in the twilight zone because things are just so mm. upside down and wrong. And the only way I can make sense of that is to stay true to the things that are very important to us and the things that we wouldn't compromise on. And those are our values. So um, for us specifically, when I speak to the brand or the label, because it has such a strong Māori ethos and um, aesthetic, we're, we're drawing on our culture. And I'm also heavily inspired by just our country. Mm. And um, so I'm drawing on my country. And so the direct responsibility of that is to give back, you know, mm. in any way that I can or we can. Mm. And, Kitty, you've obviously gone about your business, as you said, in, a, in quite a single-minded way right from the beginning. And I suppose fashion's a really interesting uh, industry to be in because it does often ask questions of 
uh, change and following trends and uh, you know, not adhering to what you did six months ago, maybe even not adhering to what you, you did three months ago. How have you found and, and how does it sit with you, the fact that, that brands and, and the market um, is looking back towards those themes of authenticity and integrity and family and community, but you sit there going, hey, guys, I've been doing this all along. This is what drives <laughs> me. <laughs> um, and, you know, not to judge those brands, because of course, everyone who's, you know, changing to a better way of being, that's a fantastic way to, to be. But um, how, ha- how uh, maybe satisfying or frustrating has it been to see people genuinely trying to pick up on those traits now? Whereas, you know, like I said, for you, it's been something you've done since day one. Um, I think it's all about education. <clears throat> learning education and then applying that education. Um, I'm hoping that if, if this COVID-19 situation and, and lockdown has taught us anything, it's taught us to really appreciate the things that are important. I mean, being locked in a house with all your children and your husband for, for months on end yeah. um, certainly makes you appreciate what you have. <laughs> yeah. And Kitty, uh, you've, you've got five kids and, and your husband, Jason. What's that, um, what has that been like and what, what have you, uh, what have you learned? What, you know, what have you gone through that's been unique over the last couple of months that's, that's enhanced your, you know, your family and, and the way that you work as well? What have been some key things that you've taken away from this time? Yeah, well, we loved lockdown. We yeah. absolutely loved it. And to be perfectly honest, um, I'm finding it a little bit um, of a challenge transitioning back into the new norm. Mm. I quite liked being um, isolated. Yeah. <laughs> it's the strangest thing. Like, um, and so hey, you're a typical up. fashion person. I think our <laughs> default setting is to hunker away and and uh, and not uh, interact with other people. Ironically. Yeah, I know it is crazy, um, but you know, creatives. Mm. Uh, we found lots of learning in it really but I think the main thing was just how important our well-being is and our responsibility to Papatua Nuku of mm. course Earth Mother um, if we're not looking after those those basic basic things then nothing else is going to work so we learned a lot about ourselves and how we function in a really small environment in a, in a confined space um, there was a lot of creativity that went on in our house um i started two new businesses during lockdown wow uh, and i just i felt that it was a time where i could stop the noise for a little while and be able to step back from everything and um mm. about the big picture and um in reference to your first question mm. the only way i feel that we can all move forward positively and reset for good and so forth, as if we're not worrying about, or so much about what people haven't done in the past, or worrying about the authenticity in their um, intention, as far as people who for 20, 30 years were functioning in a way that did not, did not respect or look after our people or planet, mm. and are now in survival mode, mm. you know, and now they're sort of they're scrambling mm. because they're like, I have to jump on this. I have to jump on this walker mm. because there's no other choice now. And transparency is everything. And we have very intelligent, conscious consumers out there that mm. want to see traceability and clarity around um, brands 
and what we're doing. So I don't think it's about sort of pointing the finger. It's more about encouraging us all to move in that direction that is ultimately, you know, better for everyone. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. And I suppose I didn't want to start the uh, the talk necessarily in a pessimistic way, but sometimes <laughs> we do see, see brands, especially in fashion, because it's often our fashion companies are asked to be quite um, loud about, about their characteristics and, and especially things like fashion revolution have, have made customers demand more transparency and more visibility from fashion brands, possibly more so than many other industries that customers interact with day to day. So when you do see people saying, Hey, we're going to rework our whole brand structure and go back to this and enhance that and and start Mm. doing this better. Like I said, those are, those are good things, but I think what, people who know you and, and know the Kitty Nathan brand, both from your um, fashion designs and also from Jason's Purnamu and, and his carvings. It's like you've always had that ethos and, and it must be very humbling for you to be operating in a world now where those, those values are being highlighted and, and, um, and championed so much more. Oh, it's wonderful, and, actually. Mm. It's really, really wonderful. Um, and we were heavily supported during lockdown. Mm. Because we weren't an essential service or product, uh, we just sort of um, put out to, you know, the social media mm. <laughs> world that we, we highlighted the fact that we weren't essential, but for those who did want to support a small business and a local business, um, they could pre-order and, and receive their products post-lockdown. Yes. And so we did very... We were, we were comfortable in our sales and so forth during that time. And mm. I really, really, like, honestly, hand on heart, believe that that was because there's so many people that um, have really aligned with the authenticity mm. of the brand and exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So, Kerry, another one of the quotes that I've focused on um, from your background and on your website is how you talk about isolation and not just the isolation of... COVID-19 and and having some time with family, which of course was really positive, but you talk about how the New Zealand fashion industry can also be quite isolating and it's not necessarily known for kindness and sharing. And I think that's probably true of the industry around the world. Traditionally, uh, it's a place that's kind of um, celebrated people that sit at the top of the, the pyramid that are kind of untouchable and unattainable. And I feel like that concept is being tipped on its head. Um, and you, ha- you say, you talk about how you wanted to have a go at changing that culture. Talk to us about that kind of isolation within the industry and how you've not only brought together the Maori fashion community, but also how you've woven that community into the mainstream. Talk to us about that. Um, I think that just comes from personal experience. So when we first started out, we um, were met with, I guess certain um, personalities (laughs) Mm. and definitely roadblocks, um, exclusion from like the communities that were really linking you into marketing and and networking your way um, towards your market. Mm. So if we just take it back to basic fundamentals, as fashion designers, we make clothes and we sell clothes. And what we were doing was making clothes and we couldn't sell them because we couldn't, mm. couldn't get to our market. Right. There are, there are a lot of layers there and there are a lot of challenges and a lot of experiences that um, were unfair and unnecessary. 
And so uh, I had a few young Māori designers come to me and just sort of say, look, I really need some help with, you know, such and such. Can you help me? And my immediate response was, of course. Mm. And it really sparked a little fire in me because I sort of thought there's, there's no reason for designers to go through the challenges that I did. There's just no reason for it. There's no need. So if there's any way that I can help them, then I will. And what I quickly found was um, the only way to do that was to completely open um, all of my networks, all of mm. my learning, all of my experience, not just bits of it. And it was unconditional from my perspective. It was just unconditional sharing and openness. And so I feel that the fashion industry for a long time was almost running on fear. Mm. Fear of someone else taking your market position. Fear of someone else finding the better machinist or the better patent drafter or, you know, just getting mm. some kind of over the next person. And I just it just makes me feel quite sick to the stomach, to be honest, um, that, that the industry and so many people have suffered from that for so long. Mm. And so, I think, I mean, that's a really interesting concept too, because I think the fear also comes from doing things like they've been done in the past. Mm. And that's extremely limiting and crippling for, for, for creatives in general, but especially for business. And especially now, if you try and run a business now, like businesses have been run in the past, mm. uh, you know, like you'll be dead in the water. I spoke to someone the other day who's been running a business for over 30 years and they said, look, we have to think like a startup now. Everything that we thought we knew back in February is gone. Every, you know, the wholesale market is is completely different and collapsing, advertising collapsing. Staff are being let go left, right and center. We don't have teams anymore. We have small silos of people that have to operate in isolation. You know, that that fear, I think, I mean, something about this year has been extremely liberating, I believe, for our industry is because people have gone, you know what, I've wanted to do this a different way for a long time. And now is the time to do that and, and take a risk. Yeah. And, and also, you know, we keep hearing this message of reset for good. And isn't this the mm. perfect opportunity to do mm. so? I mean, it really is. Um, it really is. And, and it has been, uh, it has exposed in a lot of ways um, the way that people truly operate. Yes. So, yeah, people can market and talk a big game, but at the end of the day, their true colours really shone um, mm. when they were in crisis or are in crisis right now. So, mm. especially who they are as a as a individual and as a brand is is being realised now. Whether that's mm. good or bad, and. Um, hopefully for those who are really struggling at the moment, this whole reset will take them like on a way better journey. I mean, you know, business wise, like hopefully just this whole reset will mm. kickstart our industry and hopefully it will kickstart our CNT and manufacturing industry. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't that be fantastic that we could actually build a true industry back up in New Zealand and make yeah. it affordable? You know, that, I think that's one of the things that, myself and my team often talk about when when we do have some clients that are pushing you know um, New Zealand made product and and talking about how accessible it should be and how they're proud to be made in New Zealand and, and I worry that it's a real luxury I worry yeah. that things being made here are so expensive that it won't be accessible and having people be able to to enjoy beautiful pieces of craftsmanship and and especially from from your company 
um, you know, traditions and and weaving and and other crafts that have that should be celebrated and seen. Can we actually make that affordable and and uh, accessible to people? You know, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, it's an interesting. It's a great question. Um, when when we started our brand, we had to make a decision on what our product offering would be right from the very start, and. <clears throat> There'd been a mindset around what Māori fashion was or is even now, and the the visual connotation that sort of comes to mind for the majority of New Zealand and for the world that know what Māori or who Māori are is, you know, patterns on shirts and, mm. you know, this this sort of offering. And so what we want, what the, sorry, the decision that we made early on was that we wanted to try and create something that we had never seen or experienced before. And we wanted to offer an, uh, sort of, you know, high level garment, beautifully made, beautiful ponamu, um, quality ponamu, authentic ponamu and woven pieces that just simply weren't being made at the time. So we made a conscious decision that we were going to be in that higher, um, retail bracket. However, there are lots of Māori fashion brands that are in the ready-to-wear mm. bracket, and they're all New Zealand made because mm. they they actually uh, are operating at a level where it's it's just either too hard or it's too expensive um, to do the big orders from overseas. Take on the big from overseas. Some of them are at the moment, but um. I would, I would, I would love to see all our Māori fashion brands. Well, I'd love to see all our New Zealand brands with a Made in New Zealand ticket on them. Mm. And so, in order to make that happen, the whole industry has to come together. But they have to come together authentically, you know, genuinely. Yes. You know, the mindset needs to completely change, and and that's what we have an opportunity to do right now. So. <laughs> mm really asking people to walk the talk yeah oh absolutely and again now's the time to to put your money where your mouth is and if you're going to you know change a brand identity or use some buzzwords now's the time that people are also expecting you to step up and and do that otherwise they'll call you out for it mm. uh, now kitty one of the biggest things i suppose and we've touched on this already but um one of the the themes i suppose from today that I really wanted to interrogate with you a little bit more is about how Maori and indigenous designers can reach their markets and still maintain that cultural integrity that is at the heart of their brand. And I suppose from a, you know, yes, there's a certain element of make and production, which allows them to respect and, um, and care for traditions and, and ways that product is made, but also how do you find indigenous designers like are they being embraced more in a retail sense and are there stores that are you know that are wanting to um, sell them and can you see brands that are doing well that are growing and and how important as I know it is very important for you to to maintain the cultural identity of where they've come from and what and why they're doing what they're doing how do you how do you think the market's moving to not only embrace that but how have we been doing it in the past and how can we how can we be better yeah. Um, well, in the past, there was no space at all. And there was no encouragement, unless it was kind of tokenistic, mm. to be perfectly honest. It was like, oh, well, we need a little bit of 
culture in there. So we'll go and find someone that's got a kuru on something and we'll, you know, we'll pop that in or they might have a bit of a tupper skirt on and we'll pop that in. Um, but there was nothing that was legitimate sort of, of business for indigenous fashion. <clears throat> so at the moment I'm trying to build, um, or I'm in the process of building an online department store for indigenous fashion. Incredible. Um, this eliminates the the issue of being able to stock in certain stores that, um, for one, probably wouldn't see our market, you know, walk through those doors, but also um, probably couldn't sell um, the pieces appropriately, if that makes sense. So, uh, for instance, if we were to stock uh, particular pieces of ponamu in particular um, department stores that are functioning out there at the moment they wouldn't probably be able to um, even pronounce the words properly, let alone the stories and the depth mm. in these pieces. So I think it has a lot to do. Ultimately, it comes down to the indigenous creative having um, total respect for the where they're drawing inspiration from. And I've also started up a 12-month mentorship program where I can take on 10 designers and they will meet with specialists in I, like Māori IP. Um, they'll talk about responsibility to culture. Um, they'll talk about how you commercialise and grow without compromising the cultural integrity of your brand. So there's a whole lot of things that have to be at play, but ultimately the responsibility comes down to the creative mm. and to the owner and business person. As far as meeting the markets is concerned, there's still a long way to go. Like, for instance, I saw during lockdown, um, Flybys put up an advertisement saying, let's support New Zealand brands. And there was like pages, just hundreds of these different New Zealand brands, but there wasn't one Māori or Pacifica brand mm. with offering. And that happens all the time, like just all the time. So it's almost like it, it, it's still in that space where um, it's an afterthought or it's not a thought. And so mm. what really needs to happen is that it's it's normalised. And uh, I, I just kind of feel like, again, we have to create that space for ourselves. Um, so that, and we have to be really careful about investment and partnering. We have to be really careful about um, who gets to have a say and how we conduct ourselves, the business, the aesthetics and so forth. For instance, if we were to take on an investor and they said, right, let's take the handwoven things that you're doing here and, you know, teach a few people over in this country and then they can make it at an eighth of the cost. Right. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and that's, that, that's, I suppose, where tradition doesn't meet business. You know, you have to respect and, and protect those exactly. things too. And it's a reciprocal respect of culture as well. For instance, when we went to China, um, so China do business completely differently to us. And, and we have this uh, value set that we think, I suppose, that we think is how you do business. Mm. And so the first thing that I would say to anyone when I took them up to China was, you need to respect the fact that this culture has been in business for 8,000 years. And this is how they have developed you know, their process. So you need to respect their business culture and their traditional culture mm. or you try and do anything. Mm. 
there's got to be like this reciprocation um respect on all on all planes yeah and kitty that's something that i really wanted to to talk about and shine a light on because i don't know how many people had had known about that trip that you made to china a couple of years back i remember the first time you told me i was absolutely blown away because you just said i wanted to do it so i just got these guys together and we did it and i was thinking <laughs> man i wish the rest of the industry had that much gumption and get up and go um, but you led this hikoi to China with the Kahui Maori Fashion Collective, and there was 15 different Maori designers and creatives in that group. Um, and you talk about the idea being to expose small and emerging Maori designers to potential buyers and industry heavyweights in China, while also raising awareness of the uniqueness of Maori fashion. And like you said, what an enormously uh, powerful lesson to also go, okay, this is how we could do business in New Zealand. This is how it's been done. Maybe this is how it could change. Here's these people in China. This is how they do business. This is how the world operates. What an eye-opening experience for, for everyone. What were some of the things that you found that, that were just such uh, sort of memorable lessons from that trip? And, and what did the other younger creatives get out of it, do you think? Um, well, the thing that really resonates with me, and I think with many Māori that have travelled to China, is that there's an ancient connection there. Mm. And, um, much of our um, much of our voyaging came from that side of the world, so it's almost like an innate or an, or an, or an ancient sort of like connection of culture, but also whakapapa, um genealogy. Mm. So uh, there's an underwritten respect or connection to nature and spirituality. And these are things that people don't usually talk about when they talk about business. However, it was something that we always talked about. And so we were met um, with immediate, um, there's no other word for it. There's just immediate connection. Mm we met with and I had um, some wonderful connections here in New Zealand who introduced us to some just incredible contacts throughout China and they were so generous uh, in the way that they shared their business philosophy uh, the way that they meet with their markets I'm talking about like you know the, the leaders in fashion mm. in China uh, not fast fashion uh, luxury fashion and um, the, these two people that I'm actually talking about. Shangxia is a is a is the top luxury Chinese brand in the world. It is absolutely phenomenal, and I think uh, the first reference point that I've actually ever seen in the world that um, that 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 is a living, breathing example of how you can move traditional culture into a contemporary context while still having total respect for the traditions and the origins um, and you can move it into a luxury retail environment without compromising the integrity of the culture. It's mm. absolutely phenomenal how they've done that and they sat down for half a day with us and explained how they did that and so I mean the generosity of spirit was absolutely beautiful and then you know we met with Alibaba Global and um, Again, you usually get 15, a 15, well, for your first meeting, you usually get a 15 minute uh, hui in the foyer. And we had a two hour private room meet with their high level luxury executive. Wow. So it was just um, 
an incredible, like a huge amount of information in a very short time. Um, you're talking about 15 creatives <laughs> mm. in itself, just the personality types are, you know, eccentric and I can over imagine. Mm. or extremely, um, extremely sort of quiet and closed off and, and, and internal. And so juggling all the personalities was a, um, a definite learning from my perspective as the person who was managing that whole, that whole situation. But mm. it comes back to that young Māori designer coming up to me and saying, can you please help me because I'm exhausted and I just can't find a way forward. Mm. And trying to connect her to different things and finding that the only way that I could truly benefit her was by taking her um, and showing her and exposing her and, and to all these different uh, learning opportunities. And, I, you know, I suppose it's like um, po positive mindset change through exposure. Mm. But it's also, ex it's the right exposure too. Like what you're talking about right now, I don't know any other fashion brands in New Zealand that have done what you've done or had exposure to those kinds of groups. Sure, maybe, you know, there's been people who have been up to LA or London or Japan or Sydney or Melbourne and done that kind of thing, but not, in a, not a full immersion into a different culture and, and talking to the people and meeting with the people that you've met with. I mean, that that kind of exposure for any kind of designer would be, absolutely invaluable and there you are not only you know trying to kind of do it for yourself but what it sounds like is you're really more invested in doing it for the next generation um i mean that exposure is is just phenomenal yeah it's really hard it's really really hard to articulate to anyone that wasn't there how enormous that exposure was and how we met at so many uh, we met so many different um cornerstones of the industry but all of them were just so high level uh, so for these for these designers or for the designers that were, were taken over there it's now sort of we're at a point where the ecosystem that I mapped out in my mind around four years ago there's around six to seven major initiatives that have to happen in order for us to create what is essentially the Māori fashion industry. Mm. So that's that's never existed, right? So the Māori fashion industry would fit into the New Zealand fashion industry the same way that sustainable New Zealand fashion, you know, they have their little pocket and there's all these different pockets of New Zealand fashion, but there's never been a pocket for the Indigenous fashion designers of New Zealand. So what I'm trying to create here firstly is a community, a community where you feel safe and a community that um, I can try and expose to all the opportunities that our brand is being given or um, will be given. Uh, I often try and pass on clients and, and just the opportunities that we've had that I think, well, we've done that now. So, you know, surely it's, it's a chance for someone else to do it next. Yes. Yeah. And it's just, it's just that it's, when you talk about isolation, this is probably the most isolate, isolated place of, of all for, for me because I, it's, I have to do it, well, I don't have to do it by myself, but I've done it by myself. There's no one else there helping 
write out all the proposals or um, format the, the pitches that have to go out to ask for sponsorship to do certain things or to have the personal email conversations and Skype conversations that eventually end up being the meetings that we have at these high level places in China or anywhere really. Mm. There's no one having conversation, no one else having the conversations with landlords and organizations that want to see us in a physical store or an online store. So that space is really um, exhausting and and, mm. I, and it would be <clears throat> great if I could get these seven elements up and running because then there would be the ability to get a little bit more depth um, in the yeah. creation of all of this. <laughs> And Kitty, it, it, it is honestly. I mean, that's it's absolutely incredible that you're that you're having to, not only that you're having to carve out this pathway, but that you're doing it. You know, there's so, like you said at the beginning, there's so much isolation. There's so much disparity within the industry, not just here, but around the world. People are expected to kind of make it on their own, fudge it a little bit. You know, do it do it like someone else has done it in the past, because that's the way, quote unquote, that it's been done. You know. And here you are trying to champion not only your own business and, and traditions and culture, but that of not only the 15 creatives you took up to China, but many, many, many others who may have looked at this industry and gone, how am I ever going to do that? How can I ever, you know, break down that, that wall or get that contact or, you know, sell in that store? And, well, and I suppose... I <laughs> know. Oh, I mean, I, I know your your name. I know you're very humble and I know you'll sit there going, you know, I'm just trying my best, but it your name is resonates with me especially and i know that that you know even last year at fashion week you know these designers the way that they were uh just kind of hovering around you you know hoping to pick up a little bit of information or a little piece of advice or a tidbit of knowledge or a little glance in in you know from you in their direction going hey it's going to be okay you're doing well you you know I, it's there and it's very very powerful and i also wanted to talk to you kind of about we talk about challenges and we talk about how things haven't been done before and and about how you're you know you're creating these seven elements and starting this new indigenous fashion department store online for New Zealand which is absolutely incredible <laughs> who have been some of the people or the organizations maybe the media in New Zealand that that have championed you helped you supported you been there backed you you know and 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 had your back through this, um, not only the last few years, but I mean, your business turns 10 this year. So who have been the, the ones that you could cite that like, you've been there since the beginning, you've helped me get to where I am and, and I'll be with you in the future. Yeah, well, 100% David K. Shields. Mm. I mean, um, we were just this brand spanking new, don't know what you're doing brand 10 years ago. And um, he managed to articulate through visual image what we felt we were and, and the direction that we felt that we were going and literally shot every single campaign that we've ever had for the mm. last you know he's um been there for everything um black magazine so right <clears throat> they were there from day dot and that was that was quite that was so humbling i was like i was like oh my god you know this Fashion magazine, who's the premier, you know, premium offering, and um, only only has cool people, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, in their, in their world, and um, they saw something uh, right from the very beginning, and they consistently wrote stories or you know things to, to champion us 
just as us as people and, mm. and brand, you know, and what, what we were trying to do out there. Yeah, and I've seen, I mean, David's images that he's created. And, and for anyone listening, if you jump onto Kitty's website, um, there's a, a whole raft of his images there on, on one of their sections. They, basically, he's documented um, some beautiful, mostly young faces wearing, and Kerry, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's, it's, is it all of your designs that they're wearing in Jason's Ponamu as well? Uh, yeah, so we, mm. we're also working on an arts project called Hekakumoho, uh, Jason, myself and David for the last 10 years. And that is a visual story. Well, one of the components is a visual portrait story of Māori and who we are today, because we all look so different today. Mm. Uh, so you could be blonde haired, blue eyed, and wear, and have a mokokauai. Uh, the, the exhibition or the portraiture part of it is about the, the fact that you are Māori if you fuck a papa Māori no matter how you look or where you come from or, or so forth. Um, and so a lot of those images are from the story uh, Kaupika, which is about our young creatives and um, creative offshoots. And Te Putake is about our whanau and base. And those images are of our people with uh, moko, moko kauai or moko kanohi or mata ora. And uh, that, that portraiture section is spectacular. I mean, that's not got anything to do with Jason and I, my hand-woven pieces or Jason's ponamu. This is David's innate ability to capture natural beauty and cultural beauty. It's just, he's incredible. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's other um, components to that exhibition. That full exhibition will have installations of hand-woven, um, how do I explain it? More like wearable arts, oversized wearable arts pieces that tell the story of Matariki. It will have installation of Ponamu weaponry. It will have an AR app that enables the viewer to interact with the portraits, the Ponamu and the weaving. It will have a documentary that talks to the education of our responsibility to the culture and you know where all these art forms come from and it will have a published book. So it's a been her project <laughs> just, Kitty, yeah. you're, you're an absolute machine you're not only running your own business you're like oh i just set up this uh, indigenous married fashion design department store and i've done this exhibition and i mean reading about it on your website and and where it's where that exhibition you know can be shown and 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 obviously talking you talking now about how it's growing it's just it's honestly it's mind-boggling i mean most people you know um with all due respect running businesses now are just focused on on themselves it's just like like survival of the fittest right now um so it's or just it's madness. Or it's madness. <laughs> yeah well you've probably got a little bit of a dollop of both because you've got to be a bit crazy to actually go wake up in the morning and go you know what i think we need an indigenous fashion de department store online yeah that's uh that's something i can crack into today so um yeah but you know there's that old adage that if you want something done ask someone busy to do it yeah, and no. also if you want something done, then you kind of have to do it yourself in a lot yeah. of yeah. yeah. Hey, Kitty, this has been an amazing talk, and I and um, we're running out of time, but I wanted to flip this around and start with something which hopefully we can is is, is maybe going to talk to the the real heartbeat of your brand and and even how it started. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna end how you started, and I want to talk about your um, your grandmother, uh, Inez Fullerton. And she's someone who you cite as an early influence and a mentor, both in life and in fashion. 
Um, you say she had a beautiful and inspired take on how women should dress and hold themselves. Uh, you know, you were inspired and you learned from her relationship to fashion and her intimate understanding of construction and fabrics. Tell us about how important, obviously, we talked about your family and your five kids and your um, the fact that you loved spending so much time with them. And I imagine that uh, that education and inspiration from your grandmother has been really uh, such a big influence on not only you as a person, but your your business and how you conduct yourself. Talk to us about about that and um, and what you've learned from from her. Oh, grandma was you know from that era of women that just they just had elegance and they had uh, dignity and the way that they conducted themselves and and she was all of that mm. you know just had a, a true love of ginger rogers and fred astaire and dancing and you know the dresses and the movie stars and so she she was almost like a little girl when it came to her love of all these things however her first job i think she may have been 13 years old um, when she left school was as a seamstress and then she ended up working in a dress a dress boutique in Queen Street um, with all of the, um, working with all of these beautiful fabrics that were imported from um, France and overseas. And, you know, she always talked about that era of her life as just being uh, such a joy. And so inadvertently, when she was just having conversations with me, she was also instilling this love of fabric mm. and construction and you know, all of these things that are really, really important to me today. And we've forgotten a lot of those things. Um, you know, fast fashion and so forth is trying to cut out extra extra pattern pieces so they can save on money and they don't want to use four metres of silk and something. They want to use one metre just to cut, cut costs. And a lot of our tertiary educators are actually not teaching so much of those beautiful traditional um, pattern, pattern processes and and some of them aren't even teaching drapery or so forth anymore. So we're kind of losing all of these beautiful old crafts that um, really would set so many up and coming designers apart from just this world of fast fashion. Mm. And so she really instilled a lot of those things in me at an early age. And she really did take her time when she, when she drafted a pattern or when she uh, cut or when she sewed. And so I felt it quite, um, it was very sort of like relaxed and methodical kind of process. And I'd just sit there and, and watch her for hours and hours and hours. And then when I tried to sew, I was absolute crap. <laughs> <laughs> so crap. Hey, you got to start somewhere. <laughs> it was just, it was just a horror after horror after horror. And um, there was just this really, the sense of wanting to one day um, be able to craft things the way that she did and to really, I, I suppose, be able to um, get to a level where you could create what was in your mind. So yes. for yeah. designers, you have this image in your mind of what you want to create and then you try and do it and you don't necessarily, you know, hit the mark every time. But once you have learnt the skill or mastered or not not even mastered you, you know I, I mean what I'm saying is that I'm not a master but once you've learned the skills of pattern drafting cutting and sewing hand sewing 
you know, then you can pretty much create anything. And, and in my case, learning how to weave on top of all of that, um, it, it's always felt like a very organic uh, combination. Mm. Taking all these creative learnings and these traditional learnings, um, whether from my Pākehā grandmother or from Te Ao Māori, and integrating them together um, to make things that feel right to me. Mm. And, yeah. and what a it's a brilliant marriage of of those ideals coming from different cultures and you being able to absorb them and manipulate them and you know I would say I know you said you're not a master of them but you will be you you will be mastering your craft in lots of aspects at the moment and your ability to to harness that learn uh, sort of squeeze it down to an essence and then pass it on to a new designer or another business person within New Zealand. Um, that's a really special thing that I think, again, coming back to your point at the beginning about fashion and designers and industries being quite isolating and quite um, uh, sort of driven by fear and and I, I need the best contacts and I need, you know, I need to move on at this certain pace or I need to be selling at that certain store mm-hmm. to be able to, harness and be confident and be calm with where you are in the world and 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 then help the next person to get there too um that's a really humbling uh characteristic and i think it's very rare these days so um kitty it's been amazing talking about your story today and i I know we've we're probably coming up to an hour or so but i feel like we could talk for another couple of hours and and only still get to scratch the surface so maybe we should revisit this in a little while and you can tell us about your department store and about all the amazing other things that you're doing. Sounds good. Um, but thank you so much for sharing uh, your story today with us and we'll make sure that uh, anyone listening to the podcast can jump on your website, find out more about your brand um, and hopefully be inspired to also share their knowledge and, and contacts and, and community with another generation of people that are trying to uh, break in or, or break down barriers and get through. I think we all owe it to those um, to those next guys to give them a helping hand. Thanks so much, Kitty. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, Marie. That was the latest from Fashion and Focus. Thanks for tuning in and being a part of our conversation. Check out more of our episodes on your favourite podcast feed and get in touch with us at fashionandfocus at showroom22.com.